Hello, everybody. This is Christian Thwaites of Brian Janikowski. Welcome to our final um, call-in for the year, 2019. Um, and today we'll be using the same format. We'll be talking about 10 or 15 minutes, and we'll have questions um, open at any time. Feel free to, to type in the questions on the panel on the right-hand side. We'll be able to read those as they come through in real time. So uh, any questions, just... Uh, just, just please throw them up uh, if anything's um, not, not clear. Um, and so what we're going to cover today is a little bit of some summary of 2019 and kind of look ahead for 2020. So let's kick right off. We've got some slides coming up. Hopefully they'll be useful for people um, and they're showing up on your screen right now. So 2019, boy, what a difference 12 months makes. Uh, a, a year ago, we were, we were, just about to hit the bottom of the S&P for the year on December the 23rd. It was down almost 20% from its peaks in September. Uh, things were not good. The trade outlook looked very worrisome. The Fed uh, was had made it clear that they were going to impose the fourth of their four uh, hikes in, uh, in, in 2018. Um, and we had the kind of normal concern about um, we were going into a, a rising rate environment and a slowing economy. Uh, and then the big catalyst, of course, uh, in January of, of this year, 2019, was that the Fed came out almost within the third week of January and said that they would be on hold so that the four cuts that they made uh, in 2018 would be held at that level. Um, and so that immediately gave the uh, confidence of the market that the Fed wasn't just going to hold to a series of increases regardless of what was going on in the economy. I mean, the Fed had always said they were data dependent, um, but some of their actions, as I think Chairman Powell was sort of getting used to what it meant to be Chairman of the Federal Reserve, um, the concerns were that they were just going to keep on uh, hiking through following the dot plots from a year ago. But uh, in 2019, they, they moderated that and then they started a cutting cycle. Um, in the spring and ended that um, back in September. So three out of four of the Fed uh, uh, funds increases of 25 basis points were reversed in 2019. Uh, and so now we've got a very easy monetary policy, Fed funds hovering around about 150, 175, down from 225 uh, a year ago. And more importantly, the Fed's outlook is for a slower economy, slower inflation, no change in uh, unemployment um, and a continuation of this uh, easy monetary policy. Uh, I wrote in the blog last week that I think out of the 16 members of the um, Federal Open Market Committee, not all of which vote, but it gives, uh, it gives an indication of who's saying what around the table. Um, I think only four of them, I think 12 out of 16 of them expected rate, rate increases throughout 2019 and now um, I think only one person sees any change at all in, uh, in, in 2020. So that really does show that we're sort of in a period of, uh, of stable rates, stable, therefore stable bonds, therefore in a pretty stable, uh, easy monetary policy. And then the Fed voting members change uh, next month uh, in part of our blog about uh, how that changes the complexion of the voting structure a little bit. But the, the bottom line is that the Fed gets a little bit more dovish uh, in 2020, given the track record of its voting members than it was in 2019. So that was the sort of big story in, uh, in, in 
in 2019. Of course, the constant backdrop week in, week out was the trade story, particularly with China, although it was being sort of fought on three fronts. You know, a lot of um, noise going on with the Europeans, although no actual triggers pulled except towards the end of the year in retaliation for the French um, digital sales tax and for the um, retaliation on the Airbus subsidy a decision by the WTO. So Europe has got some um, uh, tariffs set up against it. China obviously is the big one where there were is a much bigger trade uh, balance and there was much you know heftier tariffs and much a broader uh, broader base of goods. Um, but as we've just found out, uh, the, the the latest phase one deal seems to call a truce under that. For those of you interested, and I'll write about it this week, the US Trade Representative has a two-sheet, two-page tear sheet on the terms of the agreement last week. I think it's very difficult for China to be able to follow through on its promises, but I think at this point, it's not really about details and holding anybody accountable. It's about having a top line, um, uh, something to say as a success. And that's, that's what we've got, and that's what the market was looking for. Um, and also the other big uh, uh, trade story was on the third front, was kind of the US and Mexico and China, the kind of you know, retweaking of, of NAFTA, um, which just shows how long it takes to get through that because that was agreed over a year ago, it still hasn't hit the Senate. Um, and then also what's going on in the economy was kind of a slowdown from the pullback from the tax highs uh, coming through from 20, uh, 2018. So slower economy, uh, slower Fed funds rate, and that really made, made, it, made it good for valuation of equities and people thinking that the economy wasn't gonna go into slowdown. And actually, it's right here in this first chart. You can see uh, the GDP. Forget about the GDI one. That's just an alternative member, measure of GDP that we track. But you can see over on the right-hand side, the, the bars gradually going down. Uh, right out of, the, out of the gate in 2018 was that three and a half, I think, just over three and a half percent print for GDP. And since then, it's kind of come ratcheting down. And um, the consumer is still doing well, and pretty much anything else with the economy is doing less well. Not badly, but just less well. So that's manufacturing, uh, big investment, especially anything to do with non-residential investments. So that could be you know, anything from commercial real estate through to factories and output and uh, sort of anything which is to do with the, um, with the pr pr uh, producing goods economy. The government sector, uh, exports, imports, were also doing not as well and slowing slow, slightly lower negative numbers. But that, this was still enough with the consumer to keep GDP going at about 2%. The next slide uh, just shows what the S&P did. And there we go. My gosh, that last column on the right-hand side, 27% after last year's negative, uh, negative six. I put in a, you know, a long backdrop here just to show that you know, in the 10 years since the great crash, um, we've had some very good annual returns. We've only had three negative annual returns and two of them were, you know, only about 1%. So the biggest drawdown on an annualized basis was, was last year, where it was about 5%. There have been bigger drawdowns, but they just didn't happen to coincide with a calendar year end. But you can see other returns are, you know, 23, 13, 13, 30. So basically, if you'd stuck in the S&P, uh, you've made about 250% since the crash. The numbers are a le lot less impressive if you kind of go back to 1999, but this has been, you know, a good turnaround in the teens years, you know, from the from the prior decade, which were really struggling, obviously ended up with the, the 
one of the worst crashes on on record. Um, but so the, we're obviously hoping that we'll clear we'll finish out the year with those sort of gains. Um, one of the questions we get a lot is is the market expensive and. Boy, there are so many ways to answer this. Um, we look at earnings yields, which is the reciprocal of the price earnings ratio. We look at future earnings, uh, just looking at uh, price EBITDA and so on. Um, but I think this one is as good as any, and it basically just shows that this is the number of hours uh, worked required to one by, by one unit of the S&P 500. So the S&P 500 is around about 3,100 today. The average weekly wage is about 20. So you have to work about 151 hours to be able to buy one unit. And so there it is, quite high by historical standards uh, and sloping upwards when we use the uh, moving average numbers as well. So that, that's not the greatest sign, um, but that might be as much about the low growth in, in earnings um, and the, uh, the, the average the average of hourly earnings, as, as many of you know, have been reading the blog, would you know have not been moving very much in the last uh, 10 or 15 years. So as I've been saying for a while, the market is not super expensive, but certainly no bargain basement either. Uh, and we think it'll continue to, to trade at these types of levels and these types of valuations. But it's not a point where we were last uh, December, where we thought the market was, uh, was very cheap after its correction. There is one big thing, uh, which is the next slide, which is uh, you know, the federal deficit. This is not good. You can see that this is basically the federal deficit, which is that number at the bottom, 6.4% of GDP. And then we've just shown it against unemployment on, a, on, a, on an inverted scale. Normally those should run in line with each other. So the federal deficit should come down as unemployment comes down. And most of the time those, those lines do coincide with each other. Occasionally, they kind of split off in, in different directions, like in the, uh, in, the, in the late 80s. But boy, this is the biggest one we've ever seen, which is uh, re you know, record low unemployment um, and not record deficits, uh, but certainly moving in the wrong direction. Um, this hasn't impacted markets at all yet. Most people are pretty complacent about this. And I think they're maybe not OK to be complacent, but they're OK not to be you know, overly distressed by it. You know, the U.S. has a lot of borrowing capacity, uh, and the rates are, are are pretty low across the across the board. Um, but this is one area which I think will get more attention in 2020 and going forward. Um, the next the next page is uh, just what we've seen in Treasuries, and again, a gangbuster year for the bond market, particularly Treasuries. And this is intermediate Treasuries. These are like you know five-year Treasuries. If you've been in the ten-year Treasury or the thirty-year Treasury. The numbers were considerably bigger than that. But you can see at the bottom, we were motoring along at total returns of treasuries of about 2, 1.2, 1.4, and so on, basically in line with the coupons of, of intermediate treasuries at the time. And then suddenly, uh, we have this big number, 5.2%, which is a lot, as I said, in the intermediate treasury world. Um, and it is quite an outlier, especially for the last 10 years. So one of our cautions is that bonds have had a, a fantastic year. I think our bond portfolio is up more about 9 and 10% uh, because we have credit in it. We have some slightly longer duration, but we would sort of caution that we would expect slightly lower returns from bonds in 2020. Not negative. Uh, we don't think rates are going to move very much, but, um, but certainly for the intermediate treasury area, we think you know, returns are <clears throat> about 2 would be more in line uh, with, with, with our expectations and more in line with the averages uh, over the last 10 years. Um, 
just turning to the economy, the next slide is just what we have been getting a lot of headlines recently. This is the ISM manufacturing. This is just a survey of major manufacturing companies in the economy. This is a note, manufacturing is about 12% of US GDP, about 10% of employment. So, but it gets a lot more attention than the service side of the economy because there's a big multiplier effect. Jobs tend to be good and stable and well-paid in the manufacturing sector, and it can be a real bellwether on what, as to what's happening with, with confidence generally. And as you can see, all those lines on the right-hand side took quite a tumble in 2018, 2019. This is manufacturing for new orders, uh, new export orders, uh, inventories. And you'd expect, you know, given what's going on with the trade side, if you're in the ex exporting manufacturing goods and you're looking at um, countries taking retaliatory measures against the uh, US import tariffs, that's not a good time to be trying to export your manufacturing goods to anywhere, particularly if it's going to, you know, China, uh, the EU, um, or even Mexico and Canada. So orders, you know, uh, quite a big hit. And then if you're, if you're not getting the orders, you're still sitting a lot of inventories. So the inventory start to build up. Um, and then your overall new orders goes down as well. So that's been what's really uh, worried the market. And every time this has happened, uh, the, the bond market has reacted quite well because they feel, well, the Fed's looking at these numbers too, and they're not likely to hike rates in an environment where these types of orders and inventories are, are heading down. We, for, for, from our perspective, we kind of think this will bottom out. It probably has already bottomed out. These are the numbers from uh, from October, printed in November, um, and you know we expect the new numbers for November in the next week or so. They might be marginally better because they can be affected by the stock market, but uh, but generally that we think this will start you know, bottoming out on the orders and inventory side. Um, <clears throat> and then, so what? Looking ahead to 2020, so the the, the net result was there was weak economy in the manufacturing side. Uh, overshadowed by the trade, easy monetary policy, stocks coming back strongly, bonds following as well. Actually, it might have been the other way around. I think the stocks following the bonds, but but definitely sort of enjoying a, a slightly easier monetary environment. So what do we expect in 2020? <clears throat> Let's just start with the big one, which is the economy, which is, uh, you know, no, we do not see a recession. Um, as as we're trying to point out along the way, uh, this has not been a stellar economic recovery from 2008, even to, with today's housing numbers being, you know, at a post-cycle high, they're still you know, 30, 40 percent below their peak in 2007. So it's still large parts of the economy which are not near what they what they achieved 10 years ago. In other words, recovery has been weak generally, and you can see that in you know wages and employment, slow pickup in labour participation, um, and general general feeling that you know the economy is doing okay, but it's not ripping to the upside um so therefore weak recovery weak recessions kind of you know how we view it there might be a, a quarter or two where it lapses into a zero percent return especially if there's a big trade problem um but don't see any sort of big uh any big parts of the economy as being as being vulnerable uh, and it's the same uh overseas as well so um even though world trade has taken quite a big hit in 2019 on the stock side, I mean, we're going to stick with uh, with with a fairly middle of the road forecast that we think you know seven or eight percent. That would mean really no change in valuations. I mean, stocks are essentially driven by only three things: how much investors are willing to pay for stocks, so that's the multiple; how much companies pay out in dividends and/or share purchases, 
um, and uh, how much they can actually grow their underlying earnings. And so we think the, the growth is fairly modest, you know, 2% dividends and share buybacks is about another uh, three to 4% uh, and maybe a modest revaluation kind of gets us to the seven, eight percent which is by the way, the number that we use 7% as our estimate for long for, for stock returns for, you know, for financial planning purposes. And we can say that it would, that it may be uh, that, that that number will come back primarily because energy and healthcare have been such a, such, under such a cloud in 2019. They have not participated in the market at all. Uh, and they're likely to come back a little bit just because they've been so, um, you know, hit so hard in, in 2019. So it only needs two fairly important sectors. Energy is important from an earnings point of view, not from a market cap weighting point of view. And healthcare, obviously, hugely important in the index to come back a modest bit. Uh, and we're still, well, we should be able to see those kind of returns. Um, obviously, politics, whether it's election or impeachment or something else we haven't spotted yet, um, you know, could come along and hurt things. But generally, the, you know, the consumer is doing okay. It, relatively confident, unemployment rate incredibly low. You know, hours worked, not really moving very much, but certainly not being cut. Wages, again, not moving very much. Um, nominal increases of about uh, Two to three uh, percent on a good day. Um, real increases of about one and a half, two percent, pretty much in line with what they've been for the last twenty years. Um, and then on the bond side, again, we'd sort of come back to this range of one point eight to two point one. The Fed is obviously not going to move for quite a while. Don't see any other central banks moving. Um, and I think uh, everything takes its cue from the ten-year Treasury spreads and everything else. So uh, I think our, our estimate for for the Treasuries would be about. 1.8 to 2% total return, uh, and for bonds maybe um, you know three three to four percent, you know, basically implying a, a slightly as uh, un unchanged credit spread of about one to two percent. So a good summary, you know, good 2019. Obviously, feeling a lot better this December than we were this time last year. Um, there could be a fair number of uh, you know headwinds still, but I think we're relatively well set up for for 2020, and we certainly don't see the, the more sort of cataclysmic scenarios coming through, despite things like the deficit, despite what looks like um, in a very discordant uh, you know, politics here and overseas. Um, businesses, I think, are in, in, in relatively good position. They're not overly stretched financially. They're certainly not facing any wage pressure to uh, either hire more people or pay them anything, pay, pay them much more. Um, so I think it, you know, a lot of that will just can continue to stay the same. So, you know, a cautious optimism as always going into 2020. So I'm, I'm going to stop there for a second and just see if there's any uh, questions. It doesn't seem to be at the moment, um, but happy to take any if, if people um, uh, want to write them out. This call will be also available, we'll put it up on the website. Um, and so that feeds through to SoundCloud and a podcast, uh, if you're interested in doing that. Um, and again, it doesn't look like we're getting any, any open questions. Either that, I've, I've either bored everyone to death or explained things to incredibly lucid detail. I, I suspect it might, I hope it's a bit of both. But um, if you do have any questions, please feel free to call me direct or, um, or uh, your financial advisor and be happy to, uh, to come back to you. And we'll be writing up some of this in the blog. Okay, I am just going to read the disclosure now. So I know this is the point that everyone 
waits for. Please note the information provided in this presentation for general information purposes only should not be considered individualized recommendation or personalized investment advice. Investment strategy discussed in this presentation may not be suitable for everyone. Each investor needs to review an investment strategy for his or her own particular situation before making any investment decision. All expressions of opinion on subjects change without notice in reaction to shifting market or economic conditions. Past performance no guarantee of future results. The opinions presented cannot be used as an indicator of future performance. And I wish everyone a uh, happy holidays and, uh, and happy new year.